Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi, an activist and cause marketer who's passionate about social impact and sustainability. In our trailer episode, I mentioned that I would be talking about advances in financial technology. But as I dug into the subject, I found myself entering one wormhole of research after another. So I put off the topic until I could bring an expert on the show to talk about the complex issues related to payday lending and earned wage access. Like me, you may have seen the Last Week Tonight show with John Oliver that dove into the reality of payday lending practices and how they create a cyclic problem of debt that can last a generation. If you haven't, I encourage you to watch it. You can find the episode on YouTube, even if you don't have HBO. The resounding message that you'll hear is that the need for payday lending and payday loans is real in today's America, particularly during this COVID-19 pandemic, when so many have unexpected expenses and unexpected changes in the hours they can work. Are you ready for some sobering statistics? Now, here's where some of the research led me. Payday loans are considered unsecured, short-term personal loans, and commonly charge an equivalent APR of 300 to 700%. Now imagine that if that was a credit card or some sort of other revolving debt. Well, essentially, that's what ends up happening to people when they take out a payday loan if they can't repay it. They are seen as predatory because they target the working poor and often those with the worst credit. In 2018, 40% of Americans could not afford, at that time, a $400 emergency expense. Now, since the statistic comes from before the pandemic, we can only assume that it's worsened. Now, in 2021, payday lending is expected to come in at $11 billion, a decrease of 1.6% from 2020. But that's nothing to celebrate. This is not due to a loss in need. Rather, it's a reduction in the number of people who are gainfully employed and therefore able to take out a payday loan. But what is the difference between traditional payday lenders and the financial technology or fintech disruptors that make up part of that 11 billion market? How are they different? And what is it that they are doing to help Americans get back on their feet? Are they? To help us talk about the problem and tease out the difference between payday lenders and earned wage access companies, I'm joined by Josh Sanchez, the CEO and founder of FloatMe. Josh sees FloatMe as not only an opportunity, but a responsibility, as he leads a team and serves a community seeking to prove people are more than a number, deserving of credit and financial aid when needed. He was recently recognized as one of Austin, Texas, top 25 under 25 entrepreneurs. So he joins me today from Texas. Welcome, Josh. Hey, Karina. First off, thank you for having me on your podcast. I think what you're doing is great and giving light to social impact efforts. I just appreciate you coming on. This is a topic I've been researching a lot over the course of the last six months in particular. The more I looked at it, just the more complex it got. So um, I really appreciate you coming on to help us just talk through this and figure out 
you know, how there is a path to go ahead and build a better future. So just going over your bio a moment ago, I think our listeners would want to know why you see Float Me as a responsibility. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I think that continues to play a part into why I personally am motivated to this day, as well as our team. And I think it's important to know the story. So I started Float Me from self-experience with the problem, actually, and a desire to wish that a better alternative existed. To share with you, listeners, I was involved in a car accident in 2017, where unfortunately I was you know, hit by a city bus and had to dish out my, my savings and just left me wondering how I was going to get to the next paycheck. Like 63% of millennials at the time, I also didn't have a credit card. So, you know, I was financially illiterate. I, I, I didn't know how to, you know, build credit and building credit's a catch-22 problem of itself. And as a result, Karina, I, I made the mistake of, of taking out a payday loan, <laughs> getting hit with many overdraft fees afterwards. And that ultimately inspired me to, to really think uh, through the other solutions that existed out there. And if there was no better solutions, you know, what can we build uh, to offer a more ethical and affordable solution for, for those that have similar situations? So that's really the core reason uh, of how Float Me started. And even uh, to this day, you know, new uh, team members that we bring on, it's awesome to hear their stories about, you know, financial challenges that they had and everything. So it's awesome for, for all of us to, to resonate on, on that same uh, core belief and thinking that we could do better for, for the community in general. Um, but that's the, the social responsibility that all of us carry in our mission to help people make better financial decisions. So I can imagine at the time that you were hit by a city bus, you're in a car at this point, right? Because I think that's most people's nightmare to get hit by a bus. Like they somehow don't see it coming. They walk across the street. That's spot on. Yeah. I always get asked, uh, were, were you walking or were you in the car? And I have to say I was in a car. If I was Still. walking, I'd, I'd be in a bigger hole. Yeah, no kidding. My mom was rear-ended by a big truck at one point that just never stopped. And luckily we weren't in the back seat at the time because she just had a little Honda Prelude. This is in you know the early 80s and the back seat was completely crushed. So I can imagine that you know being hit by a city bus... In a vehicle, that would be even worse. Now, what other avenues at that time did you explore to try and get funding besides payday loans, or did you? Yeah, I, I actually did. Um, that's a, a good point. Um, you know, the first thing I did was, and I pondered through, was actually asking my, my parents for, for money. And I, I I honestly should have done that. Um, I could have got gotten just a... Yeah, gotten like maybe a hundred dollars or something to get by, and I just let pride get in my way. I wanted to figure out how to you know go about life myself, and I unfortunately made that mistake and uh, going down the street and seeing a sign that said you can get money before your next paycheck, and I didn't know how credit works or what exorbitant three-digit APR rates can translate to. I, I didn't know any of that. So I made that mistake. Well, how was it packaged at the time? I mean, what were you told when you took out that loan since you've had that personal experience? The most interesting thing, Karina, was the minimum was 200 with the lender that I went to. I thought that was interesting because frankly, I could have been fine getting on you know, $50 or $100 or less than that just to get me through the next paycheck. So I thought that was interesting. But apart from that, the experience was uh, left me clueless. Um, and I think that that's true for the, the 12 million Americans that are involved in that $11 billion uh, payday lending industry every year. Um, 
it's, it's predatory. You don't understand what you're getting into in the first place. Ultimately, then you decided to start Float Me so that you could serve people in a similar predicament. I know that this is perhaps a little different, but I'd like for you to talk about, since you mentioned that minimum of 200, how you structure what you will lend and why you've structured it that way and the sorts of things that you're doing in your community or where the company's based to help support financial freedom for people. Yeah. So to touch on the company a little bit, essentially what we're doing, Karina, is we're building a pathway to financial prosperity for low middle income Americans. Today, we do this by offering advances of up to $50 to prevent from overdraft fees, payday loans, uh, providing members with with bank alerts. And we're also working to help them build savings uh, through a variety of ways. In terms of the company and why we got started in, in, in Santorini, I'll, I'll dive into the, the amount and everything here shortly, was really being in, in Santorini in general. I, I came to San Antonio. I'm originally from Rio Grande Valley, which is the most southern part of Texas, uh, which you know actually is known to be one of the most impoverished cities here in America. So that's another thing of itself. came to San Antonio for, for my college degree, and shortly after, I, I just learned of the accelerator programs that existed in San Antonio, um, co-working spaces. We were born out of this co-working space called Geekdom here in San Antonio. Very similar. I like that name. Yeah, Geekdom. <laughs> where, where geeks are, are born, essentially. We started out of Geekdom, you know, small co-working space, a little table we'd sync up every week uh, just to knock out things, do research, etc. Uh, so that's, you know, the little short story of, of how we started there. And the community has uh, continued to be incredible. And, and, you know, to speak into San Antonio real quickly, it's also, one of the most economic disparate cities in the nation, you have a lot of the wealth centralized in a few of the 40-some zip codes that exist here in San Antonio. So it's like you go out of a certain area and you just see, I can tell you, like there's roads where I've counted, you know, 10, 15 payday lenders down one road. It's it's insane, you know, and it's it's very predatory, but it's helpful to understand why we, we cap at $50. Um, we, when we first started Karina, you know, funny stories, uh, we were actually a B2B company. We would try to partner with employers, uh, to offer their employees the benefit of wage advances to kind of compete with payday lenders. And at the time we we're offering amounts of a hundred to $200 with that, we learned two really important things. Number one, we were getting a lot of interest from, you know, general consumers, you know, that prompted the, the direction to switch over to a consumer-driven uh, company. Uh, but secondly, and what's really important is that we discovered people have a huge problem overborrowing. You know, most Americans, it plays into the Stanford theory, and uh, I apologize, I can't remember the exact name of the theory, but essentially, you know, if, if you get handed five pieces of candy, you're going to take all five pieces of candy, right? The same thing applies with loans. Uh, if you get you know, approved for $1,000, you're going to take all $1,000, right? What we learned was that in lieu of people having this problem over borrowing, we were able to look through transactional data and see what was it that caused them to be in a, in a pickle to begin with. And what we learned you know, in correlation with the CFPB reports, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, was that the average transaction that caused an overdraft in the first place or the imminent need for cash was just $24. So it didn't make sense, you know, giving somebody $200 if 
in theory, they were just short, you know, by a small amount. That really predicated how we got to the $50 amount to this day. And it's been awesome, Karina, to see, you know, members voice how it's helped them pay the copay for a doctor's visit, get gas to go to work and, you know, eliminate that fear of getting fired to not head to the workplace or getting food or, or gas on, on any given day. So that's, that's how we got to the, the $50 amount and how we started here in San Antonio. Yeah, I realize I may not be the norm, but I think part of why I may not be the norm is because I grew up in a bit of poverty myself. There was a period where we had to be on food stamps as a for instance, right? And at the time, you didn't just get that as a nifty card that you'd use at the grocery store. There was a whole heck of a lot of shame around it, right? Pulling out the actual what looks like monopoly money to most people to pay for your grocery store visits. So presently for myself, I only ever want to borrow what I need because I understand the cost of it. Yeah. You're never going to pay less than four, five, six percent for even the best loan you can possibly get. But people in financial straits that need a loan that's even just really small, like $50 to carry them over, they're not going to qualify for the for a loan that it gives a good percentage, right? So I'm just curious as you talk about this, like as far as that $50 loan, what does it end up costing the person who's taking that loan out by the time they repay it? And how are you helping them to build on, let's say, um, better financial habits so that they don't continue the cycle? All good questions. Um, I, I think the the important thing is, I mean, you can't go to a bank and ask for $50, right? You know, they can't sustain those unit economics. <laughs> Unless it's in your account. <laughs> Correct. They can't sustain those unit economics to begin with. To backtrack a little bit in what you shared, the $50, you know, as I shared, it has made a difference to our members and community. And we know this because of the reviews or things that they've, they've shared with us. So it's, it's awesome to hear them. That's really what encourages, encourages us moving forward. For all the benefits that we offer uh, to our members, we charge $1.99 per month. And as a matter of fact, we actually offer the, the first month free. Members are then free to request advances of up to $50. And the important part about you know building uh, upon habits and everything is that you know, members actually don't start at that $50 mark. They they actually start at $20 through positive repayment behaviors and also data-driven insights that we gather. Uh, we're able to, you know, increase their, their limits. And all this is, is really important because we really believe that, you know, people are more credit worthy than deemed. And I don't think, you know, the, the credit score is a fair assessment for, for people. And, and I, I really think we should better understand their behaviors and, and challenges moving forward. So things that we're doing uh, to, to help our members, you know, become more financially aware, even, you know, better holistically is increasing their float limit over time through, through positive repayment behaviors. In addition to that, Karina, it's having opportunities that allow them to earn more, um, providing them, um, you know, visual representation of how they're doing within their finances. So like a cash flow analysis, you know, cash in, cash out of the account. Moving forward, it's it's about leveraging that financial picture and providing a much better experience for, for members. We really pride ourselves on customer support. Here in San Antonio, you know, we and we're thankful to have awesome investors. And, you know, a lot of the, the early investors, they were founders of, of Rackspace. And the thing that Rackspace built their self, their pride on was essentially customer support. It's, it's fanatical support. 
And it's it's about listening to people and understanding you know their, their issues apart from even if it's like a financially related issue, being able to provide support in that and you know to touch on that a little bit in, in terms of how we help members, it's being able to you know consult them in, in interviews if we'll, we'll ask if they have you know an upcoming uh, interview with an employer like how is their financial picture in general or like how are they doing what are things that we can do to help and, and pointing them to resources I think that's another important thing that we're, we're trying to dive a little bit deeper on. And um, it, it's, it's been awesome to see what we've been able to accomplish to the state. So what has your impact been thus far? I mean, I know you've been in business for a few years. So when we initially spoke, you gave me a few metrics of how many millions you may have saved in overdraft charges for people, um, things along those lines. I think it would be helpful for people to hear, you know, that positive impact that you've already been able to have. That's something that we're most excited about. We've, uh, to the state, you know, we've helped members save a little over $30 million in, in overdraft fees alone. And that's uh, that's not even including, you know, potential fees that they could have assessed through uh, predatory loans. That's something that we're, we're super proud of. And that's a, a result of, you know, floats taking out on our platform. It's awesome to see actually members calling um, advances or loans and replacing them with the word float. So that's awesome of itself. Um, in a, so you're, you know, you're generating that brand name and you're like the Google. Of exactly. <laughs> so that, that's actually helping out in our favor in terms of, of growth. It's, it's awesome to see that in terms of the value of, apart from the overdraft fees and everything, I think it really plays into the stories, uh, Karina. And it's really enlightening to hear, for example, uh, this mom was able to, her son was sick and this was pre COVID and she was able to, you know, use us to, to one, not only go, uh, get gas to to go to the the doctor's office, but also to pay the, the copay for her son. It's stories like that that really motivate us. Apart from the the monetary value of helping people save and overdraft fees and everything, I, I think it's it's us being there for for people. Yeah, well, I mean, these are people that they need a listening ear. They need some support, and I think uh, to your point, offering that exceptional customer service, you're essentially offering as much advice advice as you possibly can without getting yourself into murky waters. But I think sometimes, especially when people are in a financial strait, they just need to be heard and feel heard, right? When you talk about how you have started the the fee structure, or not fee structure, it's the loan structure, right? Like starting out at um, a float of $20 and then going upwards to $50. i am reminded of micro-lending practices that have kind of taken hold in third world countries to help people get entrepreneurial ventures off the ground. One of the more famous ones was Whole Foods Market, Whole Planet Foundation, where they did micro-lending practices in third world countries and, you know, gradually grew people's loans as they repaid them. But then those individuals were able to build enterprises within their own um, financial worlds that they might not otherwise have been able to build. And then Whole Foods, what they did was they took some of the products that were created as part of this and brought them into their stores as part of the Whole Planet Foundation promotion, which was really interesting, right? That's another example of a company taking this kind of entrepreneurial perspective to help people in a space gain a little bit of financial freedom. In many cases, that was you know, women who were not able to work outside the home and things like that, but that could now contribute to the bottom line of their families and they could subsist better, which is all positive. So in this case, when you're doing a a $20 to $50 loan to help them float to the next pay period, you're also helping them practice financial budgeting by giving them visual tools, right? Mm -hmm. 
that is an act. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've heard this from other people, you know, parents of kids in college and things like that saying, well, it's like they just don't understand the value of money yet. And so sometimes college kids, you know, work a little bit here and there, get themselves into trouble too, because they've overspent and they didn't realize because they weren't keeping an eye on some of this stuff. So I wonder if you have any statistics that relate to kind of younger people that <laughs> you serve versus other demographics that um, may have a more long-term lower wage? The average member on our platform, Karina, they're, they're 31 years old, earning about 40. They are younger. Yeah, they're, they're younger. Uh, we consider them still to be in the millennial category. On average, they're earning you know $42,000 a year. There are some six-figure earners, which is actually really interesting. And it kind of plays into the 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 more they must live in California yeah, must live in California <laughs> or New York. I'm only joking a little yeah. bit, right? Like these very expensive spots like San Francisco mm-hmm. and New York City. It's just, yeah, it takes more than six figures in some areas yeah. to, to subsist, it that's, seems. That's spot on. And again, I mean, the, the more you make, the more you spend, right? And it's, it's that's the challenge of itself. Um, the interesting thing, Karina, is that, you know, in terms of usage, it tends to be interesting with the older demographic, particularly with single moms. They, you know, have a lot more uh, financial responsibility of, of their household in general. They have kids to, to care after, and they're going to take their finances um, as seriously as possible because they don't want to lose that the opportunities that are given to them. And I, I think that's been really interesting to learn. But I mean, that that's that's one thing I, I we could share there. In addition to that. It's interesting to see with the younger demographic, particularly those with you know 21, 25, how they they spend their their paycheck almost as if it like as soon as it comes in, it, it's it's going out instantaneously. That is really interesting of itself, and I'm not sure if it's because of the sense to to spend on online or um, or what, but that's that's intriguing. So as you look at the spectrum of, of age demographics. The older you get, the more um, financially conscious and, and aware you are. And it was really interesting with, with single moms. Um, but that's what I would share there. Wow. So, I mean, when I when I look at this, when you say $42,000 is the average income of your base, with the average age being 31, a couple of things come to mind for me. First of all, $41,000, I mean, equates to less than $20 an hour in pay. Usually when people get to that stage and they're earning 40 plus, they're either on salary or they're approaching salary. So, I mean, that's how I got that number, like maybe $20 an hour. Now, if they're working, you know, part-time, then that's completely different, right? So, I mean, I know that we have on the docket people that are trying to say we need a $15 minimum wage. And then there are many opponents who say, absolutely not. If you're telling me, you know, your average client is 31, and their average income is 42, and it's already over the $15 an hour threshold, causes me to just wonder, would 15 even be enough, right? Mm -hmm. You obviously have valued and needed service that people are gravitating towards to help them between paychecks. There are other options out there. I mean, the one that I um, introduced when I was on my first trailer episode was Earnin. I had discovered them doing some research for a project for school, for my MBA, right? They structure their themselves a little differently. They're giving as much as $100 a day and up to $500 a, a pay period to people that are in need. And that that's a lot more than you're giving, mm-hmm. right? 
So um, I think about what the difference is between these two. And one of the core differences for me is that how can you escape a cyclic debt problem if the fundamental problem is that a person literally just doesn't have enough resources to cover their expenses, they're either living beyond their means and they need to counsel themselves in ways to budget more appropriately, or they're simply not earning enough money to really support themselves, which is a different problem, or they are encountering some sort of emergent need and they haven't yet had the resources to build a foundation of savings. Now, that could be habits, that could be any number of things that feed into that. But when I thought about the $500 versus a $50 perspective, I mean, really, I started to see the beauty in having the amount be smaller because the likelihood of ending up in a cyclic debt spiral ever downwards is much, much lower if the amount is only two to three hours of work essentially covered by a float. So the question I have for you in the face of all of that context is, do you have plans to increase the amount? Like if somebody was successfully repaying their debt over and over, would it get to be a larger fund? What would be the positive of that? What would be the negative of that? I imagine this is all stuff that you've covered and researched. Yeah, um, that's a a really good question. And one that often gets asked um, because from a VC perspective, uh, one can ask, you know, is $50 really enough? And, you know, one might not understand, especially when you're fairly wealthy and, you know, $50 is uh, a drop in the bucket. But for our customer demographic, it makes the, the world of difference. Um, as I shared through all the, the stories, um, you know, as members build uh, positive repayment behaviors and better manage their finances through our, our platform, it's actually keeping you know the fifty dollar amount because that's what we pride ourselves on. And again, it goes about you know preventing overborrowing in the first place. Moving forward, if it's a, a, a larger need, it's challenging us and forcing us to think about solving uh, bigger pain points. And that's how can we provide a a, a loan in in this case that is a much larger loan, uh, but also is influenced through their positive repayment behaviors that we've learned from the member on our platform, how can we provide a, a loan that actually in, involves credit in this case, um, but in turn doesn't involve the same approach of evaluating credit score to make that decision. It's, it's thinking through things like that. And for us, that's how we're thinking about it. And that's what we're really excited about moving forward. It's how can we get into products like that where we could help members build credit, you know, and that's what we're really excited about. Now, I see some companies in similar spaces that have a similar model that are bridging a gap to become even a banking institution, which isn't exactly how you're set up presently. It doesn't look like you plan to offer checking or savings accounts, as a for instance. But I'd love for you to talk about where you see that going and if there are other additional services that you think you'll add at some point in the future. Yeah, I think it's awesome, Karina, to see that more now than ever. A lot of companies are moving towards neo-banking. It's being able to offer a much better banking experience that doesn't have all the fees that a B of A or Chase or Wells Fargo might have, an example. Every time you access an ATM, two or three dollars. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, not only that, but to harp on like savings accounts, uh, you're you're paying five dollars a month to to build savings when maybe it's a challenge to build to save five dollars, you know, a month. And the bank makes money off of your savings correct, account. Correct. So. Correct. And and banks compete on interest rates, right? For us, it's about competing on solving pain points. 
in lieu of your question, uh, we don't intend to become a bank. I think the, the neobank scene is only getting crowded. And with that, customer acquisition costs are only going to increase. We don't want to compete for users' checking account. As a matter of fact, the average banking customer here in the U.S. has about two accounts. We don't want to you know, compete and, and try to offer another account for them. Really, what we're trying to do, Karina, is offer a holistic financial experience. We're not trying to replace your bank. We're trying to replace your banking experience. And what we're trying to do is, is build all the supplemental um, auxiliary products that you know, your, your bank could do a better job of. And, you know, for us, how we got started, it's it's solving that initial pain point. That's customers come to us because they have a cash need and we're bridging that gap, you know, from day one. Moving forward, it's providing a better financial picture so that they understand where they are on their finances and where they could be uh, should they make adjustments. Uh, beyond that, you know, in the spectrum, it's building credit. How can we help members build credit? And that's really what we're super excited about. Um, but for us, it's it's not about you know replacing the bank. It's about making members financially whole and and helping them achieve financial prosperity um, through a suite of financial products. And that's that's what we're we're excited about. So thinking about that, right now you're a software as a service company. You have your service offered for a dollar ninety nine a month. People are getting a dashboard into their finances. Are they actually building credit? Are their credit scores improving as they use the platform? How does that work? Uh, good point. Today, members are, are not you know, able to build credit uh, with our current offerings. However, on, on the back end, you know, we're, we're assessing the members' uh, risk and their ability moving forward. Uh, what we'd like to do is play in all those learnings and, and be able to use that to, to catapult us into, into credit products to where we can in turn, you know, capture these behaviors and leverage them as, you know, behaviors that are being realized today, whether that's if you pay rent on time, let's, let's associate that as a positive, you know, credit behavior. Same thing with utility bills, and beyond that, it's maybe offering you know a a credit builder loan that can help people uh, build credit while saving at the same time. So that that's how we're thinking about it. Yeah, I think that honestly, that type of a service is needed. I think it can be daunting. You mentioned earlier that a good portion of your customers don't actually have a credit card or a credit line already. They may have heard horror stories. I know when I went to college. There was literally a credit card sign-up station like right in front of the admin building, right? Like so they would just loop you in right away and they'd automatically give students between five hundred and a thousand dollars without even, you know, checking your credit. Now, I was a college kid putting myself through college, right? So working full time and going to community college, later transferring to UCSE where I went for my undergrad, right? For me, it was a reality where I often went weeks where I ate nothing but top ramen, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and maybe a Taco Bell bean burrito for 79 cents, which is what they sold for at the time. So that's not the best diet to keep your brain fueled and, you know, doing great in college. Um, But hey, you know, you survive, right? So when I got my first credit card, it was very much that. I got a 500 or seven, I think it might've been 750 or whatever, because I worked, right? I had a job. I built pretty exceptional credit while I was in college because I had to keep revolving debt in order to pay for my grocery bill, in order to uh, make sure I could pay my rent on time and still get food in the fridge. So by the time I graduated college, I had, I think, about $8,000 in credit card bills 
that simply were not covered by my meager financial aid that I received and what my dad could afford to help me with, right? It took me a while after graduating college to pay that down, that revolving debt that kept going up. And the way credit card companies at the time were operating, you'd get a new credit card offer in the mail and they'd offer a 0% APR with transfers. So I literally was playing hopscotch with my debt. I would get a new credit card, transfer everything over to it to get 0% for six months so that I didn't get these like really high rates and my credit didn't become worse with time or my um, the amount I owed didn't just keep building, right? But it took me a few years after graduating college and working full time in a better paying job to be able to pay it down. And once I did, I swear, it was like I never wanted to borrow money again. <laughs> 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 so, so now it's like every bill gets paid on time. I don't even like to borrow to buy a car. I mean, I will, but you know, I'd prefer to like save for it and then pay cash if I can, just because of how crippling and how difficult it was to get out from under. Just from a personal perspective, I can say there's a lot of logic behind how you've set things up. I also understand that, um, College has only gotten more expensive in the last 20 years since I graduated. So I feel like there are solutions that are needed on a global scale that can help people achieve the education that they need in order to build a better future. You know, really, before we wrap things up, I wanted to talk about one last topic with you, and that is what you're doing in your local community to help raise people up. I know when we'd spoken about this briefly, we chatted about your employment practices and the sorts of things that you're trying to do to make your community a better place. Yeah, um, I think there's a lot of ways that we're we're doing that. You know, not just myself, but the, the team in general. And there's actually some exciting things I'll, I'll touch on here shortly. But it wasn't the customer support thing. First of all, it's you know having. The ability to acknowledge, you know, where uh, someone, uh, where a member is today, and if, if it's asking uh, things that are not even tied to finances, and asking away, um, seeing how we can build upon the relationship, Karina. Because again, you know, how we treat people is is how they're going to remember us, and I think it really plays into to growth itself. In addition, I think one awesome thing was uh, right in light of COVID, you know, a lot of K through 12 um, systems or school districts, I'm sorry, had to transition to online, right? A lot of them were not equipped to go online. Uh, for us, it was being able to donate laptops to high school students and junior high students so that they can continue their education at home. As I shared, you know, a lot of centuries is uh, really segregated in terms of, of wealth. Uh, so it's being able to, to partner with schools like IDEA here in um, Texas, and I believe they're, they're in other states as well, being able to offer or donate laptops uh, so that kids can continue their education. In addition to that, it's partnering with Geekdom here today. It's, you know, how can we give back from a mentorship standpoint for those that want to start their companies or are need help, you know, finding a job, et cetera. Lastly, it's it's about you know I think for for us it's it's food banks. I don't want to sound generic or anything, but it's awesome to see the impact that that has. And we saw a lot of that um, recently when the whole weather issue happened here in Texas. Food banks were very much needed, and it's awesome knowing that we have a recurring contribution to organizations like that. There's a lot of things that we you know we want to continue to do moving forward and. One thing that we've recognized is to be more receptive of the remote culture. We have uh, several employees that are not here in the U.S. I mean, not here in San Antonio, uh, but in other you know states here in the U.S. And 
being able to support them in, in their communities and uh, things that they want to do in their communities. So that's what we're, we're really about. Well, I applaud that. I have been thinking about you quite a bit this last week. Um, we can share now. We had actually planned to record this about a week and a half ago, or a, yeah. but it was right in the middle of the really awful weather that you've been experiencing in Texas. And uh, your power was out too, along with everybody else's, yep. right? Yeah, that was an issue. <laughs> so, you know, here you are trying to grow your company and you know, suddenly everybody who's already working remote is suddenly without power. So I imagine that must have been really crippling. Thank you for working to get through that. Is there anything that you would like the audience to take away from today? If there's just one thing or a question that perhaps I didn't ask you that you wish I had? Yes. So I think my biggest takeaway, Karina, is if you're starting a company or looking to join one, make sure you're extremely cognizant of the culture in, in the workplace. And I say that because one thing that we really pride ourselves on is we support our employees uh, to become creators or contributors. And that kind of plays into the, the whole giving back to the community. Um, you know, we have uh, an employee, Kelsey, who just recently published a book that's called, it's, it's around giving light to trash. Uh, how can we recycle trash and, you know, be more effective about it? Um, another is, you know, starting a cosmetics company that is, you know, organic and it's, it's being able to support our, our employees, not just because they work for us, but in their own endeavors. I think that's the one takeaway I'd give. I think I might want to interview your um, budding author over there on the show <laughs> and talk about trash. Yes, you have to check out her book. <laughs> so please send me that info. Will yes, do. please. Um, but that's the, the takeaway I'd give is be cognizant of, of culture. Together, uh, you can accomplish a lot. And it's not to say it's just that you're working on one, you know, individualized mission or goal, uh, you're supporting each other. And I think that's the biggest takeaway I'm sure. Yeah, we are all on this planet together, right? It's a wild ride through space. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Josh. You know, one of the things that I was looking at as I prepared for this interview was another company in the space onward, and they formed themselves as a not-for-profit as opposed to as a for-profit. So that made me curious about what laid into your choices and why you chose to to found your company as a for-profit enterprise, given that you're working in the social impact space to offer a service that could very well be a not-for-profit company. To begin, I think what Onward Financial is doing is awesome. I've actually had the opportunity to, to meet Ronnie Washington there and share experiences, uh, you know, learn what, what has worked, what hasn't worked. And uh, for us, we really think there's opportunity, Karina, and, and building a business model that not only benefits our members, but uh, also benefits the company in general. At the end of the day, you know, we need capital to, to perform our job and provide a service to our members. And the biggest challenge with, with trying to go not for not for profit direction is when raising capital for a, a startup or a company, the word social impact does not resonate, resonate with institutional investors. So that was the biggest challenge of itself. And I think, you know, I, I really commend those that, that are able to overcome that hurdle. Um, but that, that was a really the big decision factor for us. Well, as I learn more about the space, I know there are more impact investment companies that are coming out now or VC funds, but they're still the minority. And, you know, there are, even when you are able to make a really strong case of them, 
guess what? Their approval rate is only going to be 3% typically at best anyway. And even on um, the incubator space on the not-for-profit side for technology companies, I, I learned of this company fast forward. I mean, their approval rating is only 5%. So, you know, if you're one of 200 going up against uh, some potentially really great ideas and you hope that you come out on top, you've limited your pool to fewer. So it just, I see how it could be much more challenging to get the funding you need to create the impact. And I don't think there's any reason that a company can't create impact as a for-profit company. I mean, that's all about the triple bottom line and all that jazz anyway, right? Spot on. Well, listen, thank you so much again for joining us today. I really appreciate what you're doing. And just thank you for being a resource and helping us understand some of this complex financial stuff. Thank you for having me, Karina. And you gained another listener from me. (laughs) Thank you. Today, we invited you to care more about the challenges of weekly wage earners that might need a little extra support. We heard from Josh how a simple $50 float can provide you with enough support to carry you through to payday without plunging into a cycle of negative debt that can be a downward spiral and difficult to escape. So what can you do to help support those in need? Taking action is sometimes as simple as a conversation about an important issue like this, or as Josh mentioned, you know, donating to your local food bank or volunteering your time. Perhaps it's even writing a book about giving trash a second life, right? It could just be share of this podcast with somebody else so that they can learn about the issue we discussed today. You know, I um, each week post new information on our action page to help give you some tools that you can access um, and some ideas for how you might be a part of the change that you want to see in the world. I will post in the show notes, not for profits that serve those that are financially unstable and underserved, as well as how to connect with Float Me. I would also like to invite everyone to visit caremorebebetter.com. There you can find that action page that's dedicated to causes and companies that you can support. I invite you to join the conversation and be a part of this community that we're building. You can suggest topics that you'd like to see covered. Introduce me to people that you'd like to see interviewed. You can even just send me an email at hello at caremorebebetter.com. Now, this podcast is not backed by any company. If you like what we're doing here and can afford it, you can support the show by donating directly on our site or by subscribing. Just visit caremorebebetter.com and click the donate button. Thank you listeners for being a part of this pod and this community because together we can do so much more. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.